0: From recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex, I'm your host Steve Urban, and here is your RyderFlex podcast episode of the day. Okay, cool. <laughs> kudos. <laughs> All right, we'll get rolling here, um, and just super casual. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Vern Ballen on the RyderFlex podcast. How you doing, man? Doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm looking at your product and studying you this morning, having some coffee, getting ready for the podcast. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm needs this product. I think. I don't know. He said small business. I'm a small business and we don't have any financial modeling ready. And we've had a few phone calls with people <laughs> saying with interest. And I'm like, OK, maybe we should. This is good. This be a good interview. We might need the product ourselves. Anyway, um, appreciate you being on the show. Uh, before we get into the business, tell me about the person give me some personal background family etc
1: yeah yeah of course so uh, you know I'm a Colorado native I was actually born and raised in Colorado Springs uh, you know lived there and grew up there till I was 18 uh, I went to school in Philadelphia then uh, at the University of Pennsylvania uh, I studied political economy and applied math there uh, then I actually worked in New York for seven years uh, you know I work on Wall Street in uh, investment banking and private equity where kind of learned uh, the skills for, you know, my business, which we'll get into. And uh, then I moved back to Denver here actually three and a half years ago. Uh, and it's been great to be back. You know, I, I love uh, Colorado. I love the people and it's just nice to be back home.
0: Tell me about your family a little bit. What'd your mom and dad do?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, my dad was actually uh, a business owner. He ran a software company where his main customer was uh, the federal and state governments. He did software for like disaster relief and disasters, like uh, FEMA, that kind of stuff. Um, So he built a company around that. And then my mom has been uh, in the defense industry for the last, like her whole career, basically, you know, she's worked at like Boeing, Lockheed, Martin, Honeywell, Raytheon, like just, just you name them. Um, And yeah, she's a quality assurance engineer there for uh, different, different, uh, I guess, weaponry that they work on.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. So the entrepreneurial bug came from your dad a little bit, I guess.
1: Yeah, it came from my dad. And then, uh, you know, I've had some other family members uh, who have just done pretty well as, as entrepreneurs. Uh, so I kind of saw that growing up, just older cousins and stuff. And, uh, you know, I figured I'd always do it. I, th- I think it was a good combination of, uh, you know, what I like and, and what I'm good at. So. Yeah.
0: So, okay. So so how come you're not working for your dad's company? Why don't take that over?
1: Oh, I I wish. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, there were some uh, issues there. He had some partners, some executive officers who stole money from the company and stuff like that. I know. Right. So that actually uh, that actually uh, put the knife uh, in the heart for for that business. Uh, But, Mm -hmm. you know, things were changing, too, because the business really his business really did well in the 80s and 90s. And then, you know, things started changing in the late 90s with the Internet and all that. So I feel like he was already getting a little behind. But Then that kind of like that was the uh, that was the, the kiss of death
0: but he's probably calling you all the time saying, Hey, make sure you watch out for this. Make sure you watch out for that. Right.
1: Oh, he definitely is. But he's like, he's happy. He is retired. He, you know, he, before COVID he was like swimming every morning at the, you know, at the the local okay. rec center and, and reading brothers?
0: any brothers or sisters?
1: Uh, unfortunately not just, uh, just me, you know,
0: no just wonder you were, then- no wonder you were a 4.6 student in high school. Your parents were just on you the whole time. No thanks.
1: No, it's, <laughs> it's funny. They're actually pretty nice to me. I think, uh, I think I did it more for myself, you know. They really weren't after me for anything. I don't think they even cared. Weirdly,
0: really, really. Yeah, okay, yeah. so well. Obviously, you did really well in high school um to get into Penn. You know, not Penn State, but to get into Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a tough school, right? It's, is it, con- it's not considered Ivy league officially it's or league. is it? Oh, it is. Ivy league is league Ivy. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it, sh-
1: it's a, it's a school of Ben for it's Ben Franklin school, basically. Ben Franklin uh, started okay. the school and yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it was great. I chose the school cause they had a lot of good, um, you know, interdisciplinary programs. So I did one between, uh, political economy and business kind of, that. and then applied oh. math. So it was cool to kind of, uh, you know, do two different, um, you know, study two different things that really interested me.
0: Did you ever um, make a, a B? Did you sure. Did you ever make a B? Did you ever get a B or C? Oh,
1: I mean, in college, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Uh, you know, I went from. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, it was very competitive. So I definitely did in college. Uh,
0: okay. Not okay. in high
1: school though. High school was uh, straight A's. So More college,
0: you had. So college, you let, let your hair down just a little bit sometimes. Let,
1: let my hair down, but it was. It was. Uh, you know, it was also harder, right? It was much harder.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So anyway, so do you know what you want to do at this point? I mean, as far as career wise, were you like, I want to start a company and be a CEO? Or did you have any aspirations when you were going to school? I think uh, I
1: I think I always wanted to be, uh, you know, an entrepreneur and a business owner and eventually run my own company. Uh, And I think, you know, just going to Penn, I think was going to help me at least have the right education and background to then, you know, kind of, work in, in the jobs I wanted that I thought would really help me be a business owner. That's kind of okay. the reason I went to Wall Street. You know, it wasn't I to build a career in high finance. It was really to understand how, um, you know, companies a, a, at that level uh, are, are managed and how the capital markets work. And really like, you know, the equivalent of, of what, it, of you know, working in Wall Street for a few years in investment banking, it's like boot camp for uh you know fortune 5000 that's kind of how they equate it so everybody kind of does that rite of passage if they want to play in that space so uh you know i i did my time there and you know it was it was great you know i it was really hard i mean i worked like grueling hours and it was difficult but i think i probably got you know in my four years of uh, you know work experience there i i think i i feel like i got like 10 to 15 years of normal work experience which is kind of (laughs) nice
0: how did that feel coming from Colorado Springs, wide open spaces, big mountains, to all of a sudden you're living in a 400 square foot apartment in tiny New York and feeling crammed? How, how was that?
1: Oh, it was, you know, it was very difficult, right? I, uh, I wasn't able to do much outdoors, mainly because I work so much, but also, you know, it's a concrete jungle there, right? Yeah. Uh, and when you're not working all the time, people are, you know, they're going out, drinking, dancing, things you do in the city, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was a uh, it was a shock, right? I think it was a shock coming from, uh, you know, a suburban place where people are nice to each other and have interests <laughs> to like a very competitive kind of half, uh, you know, alpha personality type city where, you know, everyone is just hustling, bustling, moving. Uh, so it was different. It was definitely a little bit of a culture shock in the
0: beginning. Oh, I bet. Uh, no wonder. So did you did, were you telling yourself, I'm going to I'm going back to Colorado eventually. That was the plan.
1: Yeah, I think I always knew I was going to leave New York. I just, uh, you know, I didn't really know when. Uh, so, you know, when the the right time came, I, I kind of just was like, you know what, it's, it's time to move.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. And I tell me know. about that. You, you moved to Colorado and started your own consulting business. Is that what happened? Yeah. So I'd
1: actually, uh, I'd started the business when I was in New York, actually. Uh, and, you know, it's just, I could work from anywhere kind of, and more of my customers actually were not in the New York area. They were in um, really, Texas, actually, Texas, California, a few here. And because I could work from anywhere, uh, I kind of decided just to move back to Colorado just to be closer to family and friends okay. uh, and just have a better life. You know, I, I enjoy the outdoors. So just, you know, just overall have a better life.
0: <laughs> totally get it, bro. I mean, geez, Colorado's hard to beat. I, you know how many people I interview for this podcast? And they've lived all around the world, different countries, states, and they end up right back in Colorado so often. Uh, so yeah, get it. I totally get it. Uh, financial modeling became kind of your expertise though?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I think just by virtue of what my initial jobs were. Uh, you okay. know, I my first job, uh, I did do investment banking at JP Morgan. So that's kind of where the skill set was built, refined. Then my job after that in private equity, again, very financial modeling heavy uh, job. So you know, kept refining that skill set. And then eventually, when I left Wall Street, I actually started my business doing the same type of work that financial modeling work for small and medium sized businesses. Um, okay. So you know, my business started in 2015, originally is just a consulting business, mm-hmm. uh, doing financial modeling. By yourself, right alone? Yeah, uh, by myself. I had a partner, um, you know, uh, my co-founder, Sylvester, uh, also a very smart guy. I met him uh, when we were both analysts at J.P. Morgan.
0: Okay, so he was your partner uh, in that first business in the consulting firm. Is he still around now in your new company? Uh,
1: Yep, he is. He's uh, still my partner. We're still, uh, you know, we're still working together and, uh, you know, things are going great. So, uh, you know.
0: (laughs) All right, so tell tell us about that transition then. You're doing Rocky Mountain Innovations, which is this consulting firm with your partner spend almost five years doing it how do you how do you let me guess at some point you're like uh we need to also make this some sort of a tech play or something like that pretty much i think the
1: i mean you kind of nailed it on the head what we realized was you know the work we were doing uh financial modeling and then kind of what you get out of financial modeling is um you know you can you can project higher companies doing you can really use it for financial planning and analysis, FPNA. So how are we doing versus how we should be doing? Um, you know, what's that difference every month? And then financial modeling is used for other things like, you know, um, investor reporting, executive, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, management and reporting, uh, understanding how much your company's worth over time based on its financial performance, and then benchmarking to, you know, other you know, competitors or, or bellwethers in the industry. So th- just that whole tool of having a financial model leads to all these four or five different kind of areas that are really used in, in corporate development. And uh, I know that because, you know, I saw that in wall street and, you know, fortune 5,000 companies and wall street professionals, they all have access to these tools because everybody is trained that way. And it's almost like ivory tower knowledge that just kind mm. of sits, you know, in the ivory tower. So, um, you know, what we're doing with uh, our company is, you know, initially, like I said, we were doing consulting, the same type of work on Wall Street, but for smaller businesses. Uh, now we we realized we were kind of doing, we could automate a lot of it is what we realized, um, you know, thanks to advances in machine learning. So we actually built a technology that allows companies to really Easily build uh, financial models, three statement financial models, and kind of get all those benefits that I just described, the same as a Fortune 5000 company, uh, just using our technology platform. So, um, you know, that was kind of the evolution of the company from, you know, me seeing all of this on Wall Street and doing it myself, to me doing it for smaller businesses, to then me and my co founder really uh, building technology that lets anyone do it. Um, Hmm. So that's kind of where we're at. And we're really trying to just democratize uh, that type of work, you know, financial modeling and understanding of, you know, how your company works and operates the way the big guys do taking that and really bringing it to any kind of business, even if it's a small uh, business like my father had or like, you know, Sylvester's father had. Um, So it's really democratization Mm -hmm. of uh, knowledge that is in an ivory tower right now.
0: <laughs> and, and does that replace my need for a CFO or a finance expert to run financial modeling and do valuations for me and things? Does it replace, if I'm a $2 million company, can I use your, your product without having a CFO?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I actually would say, uh, I'd only recommend it if you're doing at least two or 3 million uh, plus, and it actually is a supplement to the CFO director of finance or controller. So all it's going to do is make their life a lot better for certain okay. aspects of, of the job, um, okay. you know, because, you know, these guys don't want to spend their time, you know, manually copying and pasting numbers from like one format to another and just stuff mm. that's really painful and awful. We mm-hmm. eliminate a lot of that, uh, especially with financial planning and analysis, you know, the, the budget versus actual, if you will. So, you know, we really automate that whole thing and make it easy for them. And then the other components that come through our, uh, you know, through our technology, it just meant is a supplement to, for these, these professionals, right? Because if you're a CFO, you know, controller, director of finance, you're a very smart, capable person, right? This isn't Mm -hmm. meant to like, you know, replace your job in quotes. It's meant so that the terrible parts of your day-to-day are eliminated and you can focus on other things with this supporting you in- those kind of painful functions that uh you know you would be wasting a lot of your time on right cuz
0: you know mm, all um, the stuff I, all the work i've seen from cfo's on things like this are either are, you know they're spitting it out on excel or powerpoints right i mean it's exactly you know, the, i mean that's it <laughs> and then they all have yeah. little templates saved that they use over and over uh in this case it's uh software that you plug data into and then it spits it out um in a prettier easier quicker fashion that you can also what let your you can like if you own a business you can let your investors look into it or if you're if you're an investor um i mean you can you can let different parties look into the system and give them access to it okay
1: exactly anyone can see it online and then kind of the key differentiator for us is we're really automating the the whole three statements income statement balance sheet cash flow so typically that's like, a, you know, that takes, you know, hours, days, weeks in Excel to do properly. We can do that in, in an instant just from bringing in the financials, uh, really in any way, whether it's PDF, CSV, QuickBooks, zero, whatever you have. We bring it in, uh, structured in a way that's meaningful using machine learning. And then from there, we let uh, the user, whether it's CFO, controller, whoever, really project the company based on operational drivers. So for mm-hmm. example, um, you know, if they want to project revenue growth, they can project it as a percent over prior years, uh, with those historicals coming in also and showing what the mm-hmm. prior years growth was, but separately, uh, you know, they're able to have the option to adjust, uh, you know, based on, you know, maybe, maybe the business is, uh, you know, maybe it's a consulting business and they're doing number of hours and they charge an hourly price. You can, you can adjust your revenue driver to that then instead of just a percent growth and that's kind of the key differentiator we let you do that for every single driver for the income statement balance sheet cash flow so you can really build a bespoke comprehensive model for your company that actually reflects uh you know the underlying business uh in a way that that you know you normally wouldn't be able to do unless you're an excel wizard so um th- that's really the beauty of what we have built
0: Will it kick out valu- valuations for me as well?
1: Yep, it'll kick out valuations. Um, yeah, th- that's part can of it.
0: I, can I give you the valuation number and, it, and then it back into all <laughs> the rest of the numbers? <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, it, it'll, it could back into
1: what uh, you need to hit. It, it, you know, we actually, yeah. we, could, we could do that, actually. We don't do it yet, but that, that that's an application, yeah.
0: <laughs> we do <laughs> it the
1: other way. We take your numbers and then yeah, basically they are, we, uh, you know. Yeah, the- but that
0: doesn't come up to the number I think Riderflex is worth, though. That's the problem.
1: Well is, it, know, is there is
0: there a goodwill is there a, what are they what are they call goodwill is there a goodwill number where I can just bump it up to what I need it to be.
1: <laughs> I mean honestly, most most companies are valued as a multiple of EBITDA. So of mm-hmm. um uh so you know, depending on what your EBITDA is and what industry you're in, those are really mm-hmm. the biggest drivers uh for, for your company's valuation. That what so we gonna, do what that if, and we, we triangulate if... in a few ways, but yeah. <laughs>
0: What if I've been driving my EBITDA to, to, to break even, so I don't have to pay any taxes on crap, and so I've been buying buying shit at the last minute to break even? But so how do I know that's what my net income? I is? think,
1: yeah. I mean, honestly, you're a good business owner if you do that. Anyone whose net income is zero or negative is smart. That's okay. uh, you're doing it right then. But but EBITDA <laughs> can still be pretty positive, and that's kind of where uh, that's what they value it on. Okay. EBITDA is not it's not a you know it's not a gap metric. So you know it's a uh, it's not one of the standards but but everybody uses it so (laughs)
0: um let me so let me ask you is this uh is this a like a sas model i pay a one-time fee a monthly fee how do do i do this
1: yeah uh so it's a sas model uh people usually commit to the the contract terms are usually one year uh up front but then people are paying on a monthly basis but they've committed to a year
0: what happens if i commit to a year and i pay two months and i run out of cash um, then
1: we'll just, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. We'll, uh, we'll pause it. We'll wait till things are better. We'll, we'll help you get more cash. How about that? We'll, we'll try to boost the business. So, point, uh, of it, right.
0: Yeah. No, nah, I'm just giving you hell. I just, I, you know, so many people do that one year contract, <laughs> but pay us monthly, which means it's month to month. Like, yeah. Kind of. Um, okay. All right. Very good. Um, why would I, yeah, why would I need it if I just need a valuation or if I want a three-year financial model that I don't have one-time deal, why would I need it all year?
1: Um, Really great question. I think it's for the other benefits that come with it. Uh, really being able to manage your business monthly, uh, okay. you know, that projected versus actual, that FP&A, that's a pretty important process. Uh, you know, most companies that, uh, you know, are growing and, and are concerned about growth, they're doing that every month. So just having that cadence and discipline for having that kind of process, even though it's automated and it takes almost none of your time because of our tech, you still should do it, right? So that others in your team know if they're performing every month and if you're hitting goals or not. So just having that discipline, uh, financial and operational discipline, I think is very important. And then that alone will let you track other things too. Like it'll let you track and understand if you're hitting uh, the valuations you eventually want to hit, track and see how you're doing compared to competitors and really like just creating operational and financial discipline around your growth plan. Uh, And that's very critical. That's something that big companies are very good at doing that small business owners never do.
0: Uh, Yeah, we'll just take a pause right there. You're absolutely right. I mean, I would be willing to bet that 90% of small businesses across the country are running what I call the checkbook model, which means they look in the checking account and they're like, okay, cool, we still have some cash. Let's keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, really. T- I, I actually believe that. And uh, at an early stage, it's hard, right? It's hard to really do uh, this kind of stuff. Until you are past. I would at least say the one, one and a half million revenue mark.
0: You know why that is is because before you're before you're hitting a million you're just all you care about is revenue and closing deals and getting cash in the bank cuz you're just trying to stay alive for the next week and that's yeah. why and then somebody's like oh we need to sit down and prepare a financial model and you're like what you're like what the hell are you talking about man i'm just trying to close this contract tomorrow so we can put, put this check in the bank so i can so yeah, yeah that's right. why that happens right <laughs> i mean all joking aside that's why that happens cuz you're just yeah. you're hustling that early business you know, sure. even for Ryder, even for our company, Ryderflex uh, and other small businesses that I've been a part of uh, before. Yeah. That's what happens. You're in the early stages. You're just trying to stay alive. You have no idea if you're going to make it the next 90 days. <laughs> somebody, somebody wants you to build a, like a PowerPoint with stuff on it. And you're like, what, what are you talking about, bro? I'm, I'm busy right now. I got to go to a sales meeting.
1: <laughs> no, I hear you. And that, it's true. That's how it is. I mean, you know, I, we're, I'm a small business too. You know, well, we're a small company too. So we're right there with you. I mean, you know, obviously, we use a process too because you know we we built we built the tech, right? If we don't use our own technology, that's a bad sign. But um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it really you really have to be doing at least like you know I would say yeah. two three million revenue.
0: But I, yeah. I agree, yeah, I agree. We we at Rider Flex, after we got north of a million, we kind of and we probably like you said, maybe it should be two three million. But after we got north yeah. of a million, that's when we were like, okay, this is a real business. We better get our shit together
1: <laughs> yeah because it really is a real business then right like you know yep. once you've hit kind of that million you can really grow it like if you do yes. it right there's no reason you can't be at, you know like five ten million over the next few years
0: yeah agreed no i totally agree uh, okay so i sign up for a month i pay how much is it um
1: it's a thousand bucks a month uh just for small businesses yeah
0: it's, it's not it's one size fits
1: all price uh you know that's the you know for most small businesses i kind of i end up giving them everything for just a thousand bucks just because i want them to get the full benefit but mm-hmm. we have pricing tiers where um you know there, there's one plan that's a thousand then the next plan ups like 2500 the next plan up is 5000 then there's an enterprise model but the oh. real difference between the plans is how many companies you can connect to that's wow. kind of the key wow. difference so like the you know for a small business it would just be one company but you know i have uh, some customers who are uh, small accounting firms and accountants And they're connecting multiple companies, Ah. Um, same with fractional CFOs, those kind of folks. They're using it to really Mm. enhance their own advisory practice and, you know, add more advisory work to, you know, other stuff that they do. So that's Mm. been another interesting business model, too.
0: Are there competitors in this space for you? Is it is it a, you know, a huge uh, sea of competition or what's that look like? Uh, really
1: great question. Uh, so, you know, there's, the space is pretty new. Um, uh, you know, it's an, it's a new space. Our competitors, there's three of them, uh, but it's, uh, they're all early. So, um, you know, one of them raised $12 million last summer. They've been around mm-hmm. since, uh, I guess, 2017. And then the other two, they just literally existed as of last year. And they both raised uh, Silicon Valley companies. They both raised $5 million each, uh, last October and September. So we're kind of like the fourth entrant into like the market, or not entrant, but like the fourth player in the market. Mm. But, uh, you know, we're, we have a very different approach to how we're solving the problem, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're using machine learning uh, to build three-statement financial models to do all the stuff I mentioned. Uh, and that's simply because, you know, when we look at all the founders of the, those other companies, they don't have a background in Wall Street and financial modeling and financial planning and analysis. Uh, So they don't really know how the big companies do that. Uh, So Mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're taking what's been done by the big guys and how they do it and then just bringing it to to everybody else. The other guys are more focused on just connecting different input sources, like connecting to like, you know, QuickBooks, HubSpot, all that. They're more of like connectors rather than actual, um, you know, financial modeling uh, tools, I would say.
0: And are you guys raising cash? Um, you know, we,
1: uh, we're going to start raising capital. I think at some point soon, uh, you know, once we get closer to like, probably, uh, I'd say, you know, 50 K a month in revenue, we'll, we'll probably start raising then just cause we'll get better terms. I think.
0: Hmm. Okay. Have you raised cash before personally? Uh, yeah. For-
1: yeah. Uh, we have, we raised money from an angel investor. He was a, a partner at Motley Fool Ventures. Uh, that's a venture arm of, uh, the Motley Fool guys, uh, the, the, the oh. publication finance publication.
0: You raised that for this business, or my insights for, for RMI my insights? Yep,
1: um, yep. It was a small angel round uh, about okay. a year and a
0: half ago. It, besides the money that you and your partner put in bootstrapping it,
1: yep, uh, that's it. That's all. It was us bootstrapping it, and then the money he put in, which really let us go from kind of what we had before, which is I'd say the non-machine learning, you know, version of the product, to now everything's machine learning and it's you know cutting edge. So. Uh, it really brought our business kind of, you know, to the
0: next level. Let me guess, you used that angel money to pay the developers to get the get the product built.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I had to. I you know, I, I did a little bit of it myself, but then yeah, we used it to hire uh, machine learning engineers and other folks to to really yeah. help build it. Yeah, you have yeah. to. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, you're you're obviously a super smart numbers guy, but you're not, you're not. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so that's where some of the cash went. Yeah. All right. And then of course you were making some cash from your consulting firm and you probably had some cash saved up from that to kind of survive, survive on this deal. Are you, uh, you paying yourself yet?
1: I'm paying myself, but, uh, you know, I, I pay myself the state minimum of uh, $36,000 a year. And most
0: (laughs) of it, you know, most
1: of it just goes to savings and, you know, 401k match and all that. Right.
0: Well, how are you paying uh, your mortgage how are you paying your mortgage and eating then you must have some savings.
1: Uh, my, the company, uh, covers my rent for right now, which, cause I, I did it as a lease for the business. So, uh, you know, Speaking small business to, yeah. owner tactic, you know, had to do it, uh, uh between, but, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, by the way, if you're listening to this episode, didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yeah, if you're a small business, you better be running everything through your expense line that you, that you legally can. You oh know? yeah. I mean, that, that is just the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Uh, I cut you off there. I didn't mean to um no everything so, that i can
1: write off as an expense i do uh you have to as a small business owner you, you know yeah i'm sure you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs>
0: oh i i the first year we ran rataflex i had some advisory board members that met with us the second year and he's like what the hell are you doing he's like well, these, these your internet your phone you're this you're that you're that your car whatever your insurance It's like what are you doing all this stuff runs through the business what, what's wrong with you <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true
1: it's true though <laughs>
0: uh okay so you're surviving but it's tough right now little little ramen noodles here and there so not you know you're not paying yourself a bunch but you're you're sacrificing you're putting in the sweat equity to get this thing going yeah and you know
1: i don't think it's just you know i could pay myself more obviously but the money we generate in revenue i use it to build the team right Ooh. we have four full-time engineers uh you know i just hired uh somebody to help with marketing uh part-time and then, you know, I just hired another firm to help us with, you know, kind of a sales outreach, uh, really through LinkedIn. So, you know, uh, instead of paying myself, it's money that, you know, is
0: just going to grow the business, right? You know, we were in our fifth year at Rider Flex before I finally paid myself more than we were paying, you know, paying the recruiters and some of the employees. We were, my wife kept saying you know, Jesus Christ. She's like, I know you're having fun with this thing, but can we, can we, can we like, please, can you please start making decent money again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny. No. And that's, that's why that's the mark of a great business owner like you, right? Like, you know, you built the business, right. And you prioritize yep. yourself kind of your salary was last. And that's kind of how I feel too. That's how I'm doing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to, and I eventually, you know, eventually you got to for your family's sake, right. For your own retirement family's sake, eventually you have to start paying yourself decently. But yeah, those first few years, you're probably, you're probably going to be the smallest, uh, you know, uh, salary on the team, especially if you're having to pay developers like you are. I mean, those guys, those guys ain't working for $36,000 a year. I can probably tell
1: you that. Yeah, they're definitely not. (laughs) Yeah. Those guys are expensive, man.
0: Even when you try to talk to a software engineer these days when you're like, hey, listen, man, I got this great deal. It's got it. It's got a ton of early equity, you know, early equity stake. If you if you take the smaller salary, software engineers are like, bro, I got like 10 10 recruiters calling me every day with offering me a bunch of money. I don't need to do that. So it's hard to it's hard to get them on an equity deal, too. You can, but it's it's tougher, especially for developers. One of the hardest positions in the country to recruit for right now. Okay, so how big is the team?
1: Um, it's, uh, yeah. So it's four. I guess, uh, excluding myself, it's four full time. Then, uh, my co-founder also, I'm not including him either. So it's me, him, the, the engineering team of four guys, then part-time person for marketing. And then, um, a firm that's just helping us with like, kind of call it lead gen demand gen on LinkedIn. lead.
0: Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. All right. Very good. So you're growing it you're moving along. Do you care to tell me, so you said you're going to do, you'll do half a million dollars this year.
1: Yeah, I think we should do half a million dollars this year. We have some good partnerships that are in the works with some, um, you know, local companies here. Actually uh, we're pretty excited for, um, you know, I think we'll be working with the Colorado society of CPAs over the next okay. uh, month. We're, we're kind of closing that partnership. So that'll be exciting. That'll hopefully get, um, you know, 7,000, you know, accountants and, and CPAs, you know, at least, who have access to our platform, then hopefully they use it. Um, so, you know, we're excited. Uh, we have a lot of growth, uh, on the near term horizon and yeah, I think this will be a great year for us, honestly.
0: Who's your biggest client so far?
1: Um, it's uh, a company out of Texas. Um, they basically, they, they design telecommunication, um, I guess, equipment.
0: Uh, Is it one of these logos I'm looking at on your website?
1: uh which one it, it might be uh i don't know if it's i don't even know if it's on the website but yeah it's a it's a thing i don't actually i don't think he's on the website i should probably put him
0: Were some of your early clients like people you knew and you're like hey man i'm starting this company i need to come pitch it to you
1: <laughs> but uh it's, you know it's funny when i originally did the consulting business we didn't know anybody it was all referrals uh it's like i worked with one guy and then he referred me to other people it's actually a lot of people in texas um you know That's why I I love Texas. You know, they're very pro business there. They get, Oh, they
0: are. Yep. No doubt. No doubt about it. Yep.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a lot of just referral. And then now that our products built uh, and working properly, uh, you know, I, I've just reached out to people again and been like, Hey, you know, you've worked with us, you know, uh, do you want to try our product? And the answer is normally like, yeah, we definitely want to try it.
0: What's your favorite part of the job right now as an early stage CEO, do you enjoy the leadership of the small team the most selling the product and landing a big client? Um, the, the uh, tech, tech piece of it with, with helping the developers build the product, what's your favorite part of your day right now as an early stage CEO?
1: Gosh, that's a, it's a very deep and hard question. I think it's because <laughs> every day is so different, right? Like yesterday I was completely focused on digital marketing um, and then today was like today was a big focus on the product um, you know just every day is a little different um, so honestly i think i like just the balance of being able to kind of do all of it right now and just kind of like have my hands wet in all the different areas um, but yeah. i think the most fun for me out of all of them is probably connecting with a customer that really sees the value for what we've built and then and then you know closing closing that deal um, and i think as i've kind of progressed in my I guess my own personal career uh, i've learned that you know it's kind of happened that over time i've become less and less technical into the product and more focused on really just like as a leader i guess really just communicating with a lot of different people whether it's my own employees or potential or like a current investors potential investors uh you know potential partners uh, potential you know small business customers potential distributors whoever Uh, you know, it's become a big exercise of figuring out really the right way to communicate, um, you know, the business and the offerings more than anything else. So I I think that's really a good learning lesson.
0: I really appreciate you bringing that that up. This is great advice for the listeners. Yeah, if you're building a product that's designed to sell to small business. So let's just take, I don't know, a farm and machine, machinery company in Texas that sells backhoes and bulldozers and they do, I don't know, $20 million a year. And the owner, the founder is still involved and he's 65 years old and he grew up in Tyler, Texas. You better know how to talk to him and you better know how to approach his style if you're <laughs> going to close the deal, right? <laughs> right. You know, uh, because if you come at him with a New York uh, speed, Uh, you're just going to kill it. You're going to kill it.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're that's not going to happen then. Right.
0: Yeah. It's very important to know your audience and to, uh, and to pitch your service or your product properly to small business owners, especially when they're the founders that have killed themselves to build it. I mean, it's really just such a different conversation you're meeting with the founder of a $20 million business that has killed himself and sacrificed everything to get it to where it's at. And when you're talking to him, there's a passionate um, piece of that conversation that that you need to connect with uh, to be able to close the deal. It's so much different than talking to a CEO of a publicly owned billion dollar company. It's just a complete different conversation.
1: Oh, completely different. Right. Cause you know, it's like a founder versus honest, I hate to say it, but like an employee almost. Right? right. Cause that, that, I mean, you grant he's CEO, but you know, you're still technically an employee of, of a giant company. Right.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Uh, okay. So I lo- love what you're doing. Love the size of, of the organization so far. You talked about the competition and, the, and the, the bootstrapping of it all. What's been the scariest, what's the scariest moment for you so far? Have you had a couple of night sweats, 3am uh, oh, yeah. walking around?
1: course everybody has right i'm sure you have too with rider flex uh, yes. you know probably back yes. in the day um oh, yeah. i think it was just you know it's about around revenue right it's like oh shit like am i gonna make enough money to like cover expenses this month uh you mm-hmm. know next month like oh god like what if i you know what if i the money isn't there like what do i do like how do i you know make ends meet um yeah. you know the same kind of issues i think all of us have faced um so you know those issues are still there it's just, you know, uh, you got to figure out ways to, to make ends meet and to really generate revenue, right? Especially especially in this environment. so And I think we've done a better job of that. And, um, you know, I think COVID has, has hurt a lot of industries, right? Like, you know, like retail, unless your Amazon is basically gone. Um, but, but, you know, other industries that are, you know, more tech enabled, I think they've benefited. So, I think we're we're fortunately in that latter uh, group. Um, so we're actually Bennett we've benefited, you know, kind of because of this cuz things have digitally transformed more and people have gone more towards that. So that's been, you know, helpful, mm. but uh, you know, at the end of the day it's still generating revenue. It's not easy, right? No matter who no. you
0: are. No matter who you are and when you're a small business, especially like yours, you know, somebody has to hustle the business. I was just having this conversation with a couple of other entrepreneurial CEOs of smaller companies. And they're like, look, you know, we can have all of the fancy stuff on the website and we can have a cause and a mission and we can have all this <laughs> fancy verbiage and we can have all this shit on here. It sounds really cool. But if we ain't out there closing deals, none of this shit happens. Like somebody has got to generate the revenue.
1: <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. That's why sales is a lifeblood of the business, right?
0: Yes. I mean, somebody's got, somebody's got to close the deals. Any quick, uh, if you had to give some entrepreneurial advice to anybody listening to this episode, thinking about starting something, what are there two or three things you want to tell them right now yeah, besides, of course. Besides, besides you better hustle your ass off to close revenue. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh,
1: I think the biggest things I'd say is, you know, at least at my circle of friends, you know, who went to Penn with me and all these smart people, they all are so smart. And a lot of people in the circles always talk about starting their own business Uh, And they're like, you know, I'll start at some time, maybe, you know, I need to do XYZ, ABC. I don't think there's like a perfect time for you to start a business. I think you just have to like make a candid assessment of your, you know, your life and where you're at. And then just take the plunge, right? Um, You know, there's no perfect time for ever starting a business. So I I wouldn't romanticize that idea that you need to have like all these prerequisites to start a business. Yeah. So, um, I think that's a big one. And then I think also too, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's hard and it's demanding. So when you're doing, when you do start your business, you should be passionate about what you're doing. Uh, you know, so you got to be passionate about what you're doing. And then obviously it's easier too if you have some experience, right? Like, you know, for example, Mm -hmm. like if I had started a business because of my background in wall street and tech, I, you know, fintech was kind of natural for me for, you know, for this, for my first business. Right. But if I had started, I don't know, like a, a flower company probably wouldn't have worked. Right. Cause I don't know anything about flowers. I don't, I'm not even sure I'm passionate about flowers. Uh, <laughs> you know, it would have probably flopped. Right. So yeah. uh, I think you need to have a good mix of passion plus some prior experience for
0: whatever you do want to do. Mm, good advice. Really good advice. Wrapping up here. I want to ask you if you wrap up uh, miscellaneous Uh, Questions. What are your thoughts these days on the social media aspect of business owners and CEOs like speaking out on social media, taking sides on social issues or political stances? And, like, okay, you know, here's a big argument going on in the country, and we believe green versus blue or whatever. What are, yeah. your, what are your thoughts on CEOs and, and companies like doing that? What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, um, I'm not a huge, I'm not huge on social media. I don't even have a Twitter. I'm, I have a LinkedIn, which uh, I think is very valuable for me really just mm-hmm. for, you know, connecting with people, professional network, all that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, as someone who's not actively like, you know, involved in all of that, I, I think. I think it's fine to voice your opinion, uh, you know, but if you're like a, an established, like leader, like if you're like Elon Musk or someone, you shouldn't be saying things that can like move the market or that, you know, <laughs> cause that's illegal, right. Or basically it yeah. should be, or, or things that may benefit you, uh, but you know, hurt a lot of normal people. Right. I don't mm-hmm. think that's fair either. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of these, tech guys who are, you know, all billionaires, rich, you know, I don't know if that's who you're targeting, but I think a lot of them say things that will ultimately benefit their, you know, kind of their wallet and their causes, mm-hmm. but may not be in the best interest for like, you know, like a normal person who's listening to them and like, you know, aspires mm-hmm. to be like them, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. Um, I think okay. it's always good to take what they say with a grain of salt, right?
0: Agreed. I think a lot of them do. A lot of them do say things to benefit themselves financially. I think there's also a lot, I think there's also a lot of, uh, Hey, we're going to do this for the marketing buzz and the marketing effect to get more eyeballs on our brand. When really deep down, they don't give a shit. (laughs) They're just using it for a marketing ploy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I don't get that kind of marketing. That's why, you know, it's all over my head. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in B2B, so, uh, you know, when I see these other guys do it, I'm like, what are they? I don't get it. Like, you know, it's I, over my head.
0: I called a friend of mine. He owns a small business. He owns a small service business. And he's on, this is before the election, and he's he's on social media just blasting one side up and down, left and right. And I call him up. I'm like, what are you doing, man? I was like, have <laughs> you not, I was like, if you're not noticed that 50% of the country, it's 50, 50. So you're,
1: oh yeah, you're,
0: you're, you're basically alienating, possibly alienating, like half the people that might want to hire you. Like, why would you do that?
1: <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's uh, you know, people get very passionate about certain causes and, you know, they, they tend to yeah. lean and, and, you know, voice out on them. I mean, you know, in my opinion, you know, not diving into politics, you know, I don't think any side is perfect. Right. I think both right. both, you know, I think both. sides have their issues. Yeah. Some have their positives, you know, that are negatives for the other and vice versa. But, you know, I think it's just sad that we've been so divided in this country over like, <coughs> oh, like you voted for this person and not this person. And it's like people have, I feel like people have just become so polarized that they yes. don't they don't actually discuss the real issues right like which kind of doesn't matter like kind of transcends both parties right um i actually think the two-party system is horrible and i think we should have more parties and that probably fix mm-hmm. a lot of things here but again that's a very controversial opinion so <laughs> i
0: like it though i like it last thing i'll say on that topic. last thing i'll say on that topic before we move to the next question is this i was in a small town in new mexico this uh last week and my trailer broke down or i had a I broke a spring underneath my trailer. I was pulling a trailer and outside of a small town, to make a long story short, this game warden pulls over, helps me get my trailer back to this town. Super nice guy. Take just goes out of his way to help me get it rigged up and take it back. Then I go into this small town. I meet this little mechanic who it's one horse town the mechanic. we we'll talk to him, spend four hours with him while he's fixing my trailer, walk down the street in this little town to eat at the restaurant, meet the owner, you know, and it's just good conversation all the way around. Interesting people, Very nice. All helped me get my stuff and get back on the road. What I found fascinating was, and what I was reminded by is, is that you meet people in person and nobody brings up any of this negative argument. My opinion, this, my opinion, that on whatever topic, there was just none of that. Like I, I spent the whole day with those people and I couldn't tell you what their politics were, what their social beliefs were. Like none of that was discussed. But you go on social media and everybody yeah. thinks that they got to just blast <laughs> that shit out there. <laughs> you know, and I found that fascinating. I don't know why social media let, makes people think that that's the gateway to, to say these things because it wasn't discussed when I met these folks in, in, in person. Okay. That's a great couple-
1: thing you brought up. You know, there's like all that beauty in actually meeting people in real life, right? I mean, I know with COVID, yes. you know, we we all haven't really able to. Uh, especially with you know new people, we haven't been able to connect uh, just in person. But you know, yeah. I think that's led people to go online almost and create these different personas on different <laughs> channels, where it's like you're identified based on like all these taggings. Almost, it's not like you know, it's like you're identified based on tags like your views or you know yeah. your income or like this or that instead of like you know actually just being a human being with another human being, which is so critical that you know, we, we know we've just been missing out on since COVID.
0: Totally agree. Shout out to Casey, the game warden down in New Mexico that helped me uh, super <laughs> nice guy. Uh, okay. Uh, two more questions here. If, um, if you could call the young man coming out of Colorado Springs before he chose Pennsylvania university, if you could tell him anything today, based on what you know, now, what would that be? Um, hmm. I think
1: I would tell him, uh, that, you know, in his younger years, uh, to not be so concerned, uh, about, uh, things that overall won't really like affect your life. Like don't sweat it on the small stuff, you know, just, you know, enjoy your life and kind of, you know, you know, you only live once. Right. So like, enjoy all the experiences you have, whether they're, you know, professional, personal, Ah, uh, whatever, and really just take time to value really every day and your experiences with um, you know everyone who you you interact with on a, even a daily basis. Like, don't take any of that for granted.
0: Totally agree. By the way, do we only live once? I don't know. Is there is do don't we get to, get to go to <laughs> don't we get to go to another planet or something? Don't we get to try it again? I don't know. I think you know. <laughs> I, I was
1: raised as a Hindu. I think I still am kind of a Hindu. I don't I don't pray okay. a ton, but uh, you know I okay. think we just we we reincarnate. In our culture and in religion, so I kind of believe that. Um, you know, I think yeah. human is like I'm probably wrong on this. I think human is the highest level of reincarnation, but um, you know, I think yeah. So I don't know. I shouldn't even
0: well, talk. Well, so so, so 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 it's okay. No, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation. Uh, if this is the highest form, then damn, then that means I could come back yeah. next time as a fro- frog, or a dog, or something. I don't know, but you know what? Maybe that's, maybe that's easier. I don't know. Maybe that's easier.
1: Maybe it is easier. Right. I mean, sometimes I see some of these dogs and I'm like, man, even my dog, I'm like, you have a great life. I mean, yeah, you have no, uh, you have no free will or control, but uh, you have a pretty nice, comfortable life. Yeah.
0: No joke. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last question. If you could put your core purpose in life into a sentence, what would that sound like?
1: It's a really difficult question. Um, I think your core purpose evolves over time, right? Because as I reflect on my life, I feel like every, honestly, looking back every four years, I feel like I've changed so much. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now at the age of 32, you know, I'm very different than I was, you know, four years ago and four years before that and so forth. Um, I think right, I think where I'm at right now, I think the core purpose would be uh, just to leave the planet at the end of my life, knowing that I made life better for, you know, like people, right? Um, And again, you can quantify that, however, I don't know if it's number of people or like really impactful on one person, however. But like, I think you should leave the planet at least having, you know, just done, this been a good person, right? And just made things better for people, right?
0: Awesome. Vern, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast today. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you, Steve. This was great. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And, uh, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. And yeah, I I wish you guys at Rider Flex all the best. I hope uh, the business, you know, keeps growing.
0: Uh, Same to you, my friend. I want you back on the show when you're uh, up to 10 million. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.